0: Some kind of a match indeed, Bobby and Nick Bockwinkle, as I privately told Hulk Hogan, perhaps the darkest time is just before dawn. What a big match, very controversial in the opinion of many. My entire career, one of the most frequent questions asked is, what was your toughest match? And until recently, there were several. But I can stand here unequivocally and tell the entire sports world that the match you just witnessed was my toughest. I felt like I was got knocked out a couple of different times, only to come back from the stars and the blurriness. But I want you to know one thing. If, Hulk Hogan, because you have left, you felt you humiliated yourself, you failed to get the job done. That's right, because you did not get the job done. You knew you were going down when I had the sleeper. And you intentionally, right in front of 28,000 people in Stanley Blackburn, threw me over the top rope so you would not lose face. And you have now picked up your marbles and you have gone home. You know, he makes a big speech. I'm never going to wrestle here again. I'm this, I'm that. No one knows where he is. They can't find him. Right now, his mother's probably on her hands and knees trying to coax him out from under the bed. Floor's all wet from tears. He doesn't answer the phone. No mail to his home. No one can find him. He's hiding. Well, I don't blame you for hiding, Hogan. You were embarrassed. You came out there and gave 200%. You hit this man with everything you had. And you still did not leave the ring, the champion of the world. And you never will, Hogan. You did the best thing you could have done was take off and hide. And I'm glad, and I'm going to speak for the family. I am personally glad we've seen the last of the incredible hulk hogan well let me tell all the fine wrestling fans one last word hogan i do now know something having gone through hell and the toughest match of my career with you considered the most promising man in the world in this sport i now know how to beat you and if i ever get my hands on you again if you think you you were humiliated before because of what you failed to accomplish you will be humiliated even more because I will take and accomplish the one thing that nobody else has done. I will defeat you, pin you, and beat you. you better stay hiding, Hogan. I thank you very much, gentlemen. Bobby
1: Heenan, Nick Bockwinkle, comments.
0: This is the Pro Wrestling Spotlight, presented by Hami Media and the Pro Wrestling Reflection, where we discuss the very best of the best pro-wrestling history. And what you gonna do (laughs) when Hulkamania and the largest arms in the world (laughs) wild on you?
1: The two soundest wrestlers in the World Wrestling Federation, maybe in the history of the World Wrestling
0: Federation, are right here right now. Mr. Perfect and the excellence of execution, the Hitman. WrestleMania weekend isn't complete without the Heartbreak Kid, and he is on his way. He times on dusty roads in his family. They think they got the answers. I changed the question. You will rest in peace. Get used to it in Ric Flair. Who you're looking at, the man. man?
1: AWA Championship Wrestling. The AWA presents the greatest stars <laughs> in professional wrestling, bringing you the best in mad action.
2: What is going on? nights i haven't said this in in about two weeks i'm i'm full of energy i'm full of vigor i'm full of life i'm full of everything here what, what the hell is that semen you're full of semen i'm full of semen i, I thought you're doing sign language i was like you're doing the what is going on and i was like that isn't that is the retarded uh <laughs> the sign language that you're doing but anyway again for all it the. For all the Podbean reflectionites who don't see this on the YouTubes, again, if A-Track Brown uploads this, you are missing out on the fun visually. But anyway, let me say this again because I got caught off guard. See, this is what happens when you're not on the, the pod beams for two weeks, when you're not on the YouTube for two weeks. But let me say it one more time. Take two. What is going on? Reflectionites, what's going on there? The big betaites, the haemites, all the ites, left and right ites, all the ites in between, the earthites, the marsites, the jupiterites, the venusites, the uranusites. Well, you know, maybe his anus, but not my anus. But anyway, all the ice everywhere in the solar system. Welcome, oh welcome, to the PWR podcast. Here at the PWR, networks networks at PowerBeam.com, Oh, let me—I forgot the PWC ites. Jimmy T, Chris Hambones, shout outs to them. Hey, Jimmy, you haven't uploaded some of my shit. I'm coming after your ass. But anyway, neither here nor there. But what is going on? This is the pro wrestling reflection here at the PWSL Networks of HobbyM.com. And if this is uploaded by a track Brown, you are looking at it exclusively on the PWSL Networks on the YouTubes. And we are doing what I always love doing best. We are doing the spotlights. But before that i must introduce myself and i'll tell you what the show is all about but you must know who i am because i am vain like that i have a vanity complex i am the most scholarly the most magnanimous the most effervescent the most stupendous, but most importantly, the most glorious man in the IWC YWC, the most glorious man in this podcast punditry, the only objective man here on this planet Earth. Your friend and mine, Professor Chabela Cruz. And it's been two weeks since I've said this. Welcome to my my homeboy, my brother from another mother, the conserv- the conservative liberal, the liberal conservative, the man with the iron stomach. But not today. He, he doesn't have the iron throw because maybe COVID has caught him for the 20th time. I don't know what it is, but he is your friend of mine, Mr. Wonderful Tommy Strong. Mr. Frankenstein himself, the Tommy Wonder. How are you doing, my friend? It's been two weeks I haven't seen you. You're looking so oh so fabulous. Well, I ain't feeling oh so fabulous.
1: Uh, a, a long day of day drinking that led to 1 a.m. return home. Uh, Led to the last three days of me being in bed. First day, I thought I was just tired. Yesterday was NyQuil city, and today, when we're done recording this, it's gonna be dayquil city,
2: and then nightquil city. Uh, You're gonna be hopped up on all the quills, (laughs) day and night quills. You're gonna be so zooted. You're gonna be so high on life. You're gonna fall asleep like a baby. But you know, doing a lot of that. Here, here is a, a trick that the professor does. It might kill you, but, you know, I, I do it all the time. But anyway, if you want to sweat it out, you take the covers and you cover it all. You cover it head to toe. You put all the heat on you. You get all that heat on you. Now, you might last for about an hour or two, and then you have to, like, roll over and be like, <laughs> I need air. But after that two hours, you're sweating, and you kind of feel different. But, you know, again, that's a – That's what's called feed a fever. There you go. What, what is this? Start cold. Feed a fever, starve a cold, or whatever the Either case way, may be. it means get warm. That's what <laughs> it yes, means. get get warm and cover yourself from head to toe. Hopefully, the professor of do- of Doctrinomics, like I am, can cure your ailments. But anyway, neither here nor there, what we do here is what we do best. We are the kings of nostalgia. And for this particular episode, since we were on a two-week hiatus, because T.W. has some, some eloquent t- attendance, he deserved a week off. I wanted to do a pro wrestling spotlight. And T.W., you know, we haven't done this kind of spotlight in a long time because we've we've always kind of focused on the wrestler itself. But you remember we had those, we had a fun series of spotlights where we focused on the belts, the championship belts. We did the television title, we did the United States title, the Intercontinental title. I had so much fun talking about the memories of those championship belts. I figured it was apropos, T.W., that we talk about a championship belt that a lot of wrestling fans have maybe forgot about or never knew existed because this is a, a generation removed from the, the 90s. original this, A. Yes, this is the original American Wrestling Association World Heavyweight Championship. And before we even talk about a TW, you know, because you and I are in that age bracket where we knew that the AWA existed. You have said on previous PWR podcasts that somebody, you know, if somebody held the, the NWA title, the WWF title, the AWA title, those were your, you know, gambits of prestige. Those were your levels. Those, those were your pillars of the prestige. We're world champions. Because you don't, you kind of like, gl- you know, passing fancy with ROH, you're passing fancy with Impact Wrestling, you're passing fancy with maybe AEW, well, but they're, well, they're trucking along. Well... To be fair, Ring of Honor is, is glorified
1: independent, right? It's mm-hmm. it's uh, TNA. God bless them. They try to do other things, but they're U.S. Mm-hmm. Uh, AEW. They're gonna be doing stuff with New Japan. Have already, so maybe they'll get to that accolade if they aren't already there now. Uh, but I would like to have a moment of silence for the Dirty Dozen, for the, the Thirsty Thirteen. Who did mm-hmm. not know that there was an a before aew and they're right now going, what do you mean AEW is not the original a they're not and so they they signed uh somebody from awa to get the a so anyways uh w- one reason why in in this podcast we know hulk hogan wrestled in japan with the www world title. wwf and before him guys did WWF. we know rick flair fought ten in japan you know we the belt was defended around the world. Mm-hmm. And one of the matches we're going to talk about here, it wasn't around the world, but it was against Mr. Saito, who...
2: It was a worldly event. That was right. in the Tokyo Dome. Worldly...
1: And... Yeah. Oh, it was in the Tokyo Dome. I thought I saw yeah. white people in the audience. But, <laughs> uh, but anyways, uh, it, it, it was regarded around the world as a world title. Now, that said, New Japan and what's the other one? Um, All Japan. All Japan, they probably acknowledge Ring of Honor and they probably acknowledge, but I don't think they look at them the same way they looked at WWF or WCW, you know, as far as, I think they think mm-hmm. they're the bigger fish, you know, mm-hmm. they might use their guys, but for example, they use their guys and then don't let them come back. Now they're kind of letting them go because of the whole forbid door deal, but uh, mm-hmm. but the AWA world title was recognized worldwide. As a world title, it's the reason Kurt Henning is not in the conversation for the best guy to never be world champion because he was, and if I might say, he was the greatest AWA world champion of all time because the rest of those fuckers put me to sleep.
2: Okay, well that's an opinion from our man, Mr. Wonderful Tommy Wonder, but before we even talk about the greatest heavyweight champions... We have to at least acknowledge, TW, the history of the American Wrestling Association, which was started by Vern Gagne, who is one of the most dominant AWA champions of all time. So we're going to talk about him in just a second. But we remember the AWA was, you know, formed out of spite. It was formed to prove a point because Vern Gagne was frustrated, Reflectionites, with the with the creative decisions of the syndicate that was called the National Wrestling Alliance. If I remember correctly, in the late 50s, Vern Gagne had multiple, multiple opportunities to become the NWA Heavyweight Champion TW. He either, it was a draw, it was a 90 minute draw, a 60 minute draw against Luthez. I remember there was like two out of three fall matches against Luthez and it, you know, one, you know, Luthez won the first fall. Vern won the second fall and the third, the third fall maybe ended in a draw or something like that. So there was a lot of frustration with Vern Gagne. There was a lot of frustration with Vern Gagne's promoters and business associates in the Chicago area because Lou was holding that NWA belt hostage with his people. So Vern Gagne had no choice. He had no alternative. But he needed to make a promotion himself. He needed to fund a promotion himself, T.W. So Vern Gagne, you know, people at that time in 1960 by that time we already knew like for wrestling purposes tw maybe the most flamboyant wrestler that people might have heard, you know in the united states was gorgeous george and that was the 30s and the 40s but again if you want to believe the wwe uh documentaries but i have to acknowledge that people have said and Vern gagne and greg gagne has said himself Vern was a very known popular Uh, iconic figure in the Chicago Midwest area in terms of television. So it would behoove Vern Gagne to at least attempt the chance to create his own promotion, you know, and do all that stuff. So let's say UTW because, again, you know, we could use AEW as 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 a good example, but they are created because people were frustrated with the vision and the creative of WWE. You wanted to create an alternative same thing with TNA. The same thing with ROH. You want to create an alternative to WWE, not competition for WWE. Vern wanted to, I think, not create an alternative to NWA. He wanted to create the, the mecca a, of wrestling. A new, a new governing body, yeah, because
1: yeah. it was a little mafia. It was a, That's the original good old boys club is the NWA because, you know, we all know now. I, I can't believe people didn't figure it out either. Every year, at the same time, Rick Flair lost his belt, and every year at the same time, he got it back. It was so blatantly, you know, or he went the whole year without losing it, right? But every year, mm-hmm. they had those meetings in the summer. All right, is Flair going to lose it at Starcade? Is he going to win it back at Great American Bash? Whatever the case may be, they didn't even change it up. They didn't have him lose it on the Omni and win it back, you know. Finally, in 87, Ronnie Garvin wins that belt from Flair in Detroit, like, out of nowhere, 'Cause mm-hmm. they realized their their days were numbered, right? Eighty seven's almost the complete end of the the whole NWA governing body. They just got through getting EC, or UWF, but it wasn't before long they sold to Ted Turner because they were broke. They had to do something mm-hmm. different. But they had that formula and you had regions like Vern Gagne had they were the the the, ter, the Minnesota territory that was Chicago, Minnesota. Uh, probably North Dakota, Wisconsin, um, maybe Denver even was, Indiana was
2: part of that too,
1: right? And so these guys are drawn, and they're like, "Hey, man, give us a bone," because every guy that like the champion at the time when he pulled away was Pat O'Connor, so it wasn't Luthes. But everybody was a southern guy. They didn't; they just would not put that belt on anybody up north. And I think they just got tired of it because they drew, and they just thought, "How much bigger can they get if the world champions from that era?" area and they just wouldn't let him do it and I like what they did they they named Pat O'Connor the very first AWA world champion and said all right buddy you got 90 days come here and defend it against Vergana and he did not he stayed loyal to the NWA but it's still in his credentials that he was the first AWA world heavyweight champion because they at least had respect for him as a world champion and said Mm -hmm. all right you're our world champion I wouldn't be surprised if boxing wasn't the same way before they unified all the belts Someone was sick and tired of the governing body of the, whichever one was first and then created the other one. And eventually mm-hmm. they're all successful enough that they merge back together. But, but I, I Hans, Hans, like, there's many people to tell you. Either Vern. Vern had the, the gumption to go world, global. Right. And, and uh, Fritz, who was part of that, he was also up there in the AWA. He had mm-hmm. the talent to go world but none of them had the vision that Vince yeah. had. But those two would have been the ones who succeeded if they had Vince. So if Vern and Vince would have done it together, we'd be talking about the AWA versus AEW instead of the other way around. Or, you know, say Vince there, left his dad and right. went with one of those guys. But but it's Vern, I think it's on one of those documentaries. They credit him with having the best TV. Like, the presentation was like, mm-hmm. this guy gets it. It was like Wild World of Sports
2: versus – you know, just, hey, live
1: from the fucking Saddle yeah, dome. It was,
2: it was wrestling on Wild World of Sports against, like, uh, pool, you know, aggressive pool uh, shark stuff or right. whatever the right, case right. may be. You know, again, you, you you even said it that he wasn't even the inaugural AWA heavyweight champion. It was Pat O'Connor because, like you said, they recognized, and they made, actually, to me, when I kind of did my research reflection nights, it legitimized AWA for recognizing NWA. It wasn't that... Again, we could do hindsight and do 2020 20 Deuce uh, thought process, podcaster process, uh podcaster thinking TW. We could say, oh Vern created his own company, he's gonna be the champion, he's gonna put himself over and all that stuff. He didn't. He did, you know, he waited he patiently. Did. He, he did didn't. wait. <laughs> we, he we, we'll away. get into that part. We'll get into that part. But at least the first three months, you like you said, 90 days, it legitimized AWA. But during that 90 days, Reflection Nights and tw one, if you have your own kind of thought process, your own conspiracy theories, he had three months to prepare. He had three months to book the the territories, book Chicago, book Milwaukee, get TV, get syndication ready in the three months to say, I'm Vern Ganya. I got the Crusher. I got uh, the Vashans. I got uh, what? who else? Uh, the The Bruiser. Chris. Baron von Rashke No, I'm just talking about the talent Igor. That he, or whatever, Mighty Igor. But he had three months to prepare to get the talent on his side. And to me, TW, you know, like you said, you know, he he left the NWA syndicate. He left the NWA mafia in 1960, which gave the foresight to Vincent Kennedy McMahon Sr. to start the WWWF in 1963. So Like you said, Vince McMahon Jr. has the foresight and the vision for the globalization. But Vern was the first. He was the pioneer to say, I don't like the system that has been created for us. We need a new system. We need to tear the system down. We need to create something new. And he had a great advantage being in the Chicago era because I think Chicago is either, well, at that time could be the number three. Three market behind New York and Los Angeles, respectively. It still is number three, but it's one of the top markets in the United States. What's the about that conspiracy theory? Do you mean TV markets or wrestling markets? Both.
1: I, I would say LA is not even in the conversation. I would say it was Detroit, New York, and obviously okay. the South. Obviously the mm-hmm. South, but LA, especially without internet, without um, you know back then, flying wasn't exactly cheap. You know, Mm -hmm. like it was relatively new, a couple of 20, 30 years old. Uh, But people weren't up in Oregon. There was a San Francisco territory. There was a, there was a LA territory, but Vegas probably did some stuff. But the big cheeses were the Carolinas, New York. And I would say, see, it's weird for me to count Minnesota as different because Detroit, Minnesota, Chicago, for me, from sports. They're just mm-hmm. associated with each other. You know what I mean? It's, it's the Midwest. It's, it's like, like you know, Chicago. If, if Chicago and, and Minnesota together, then where does that leave Indiana? With Detroit? Because mm. it could also be with Chicago, right? Right. And, Ohio, and yeah. Ohio's with Detroit.
2: But Ohio could also be with Pennsylvania and New York. If we logistic, if we logistically put everything on the map, yeah, I can understand your point. But for the wrestling purposes, maybe you're you're right. Los Angeles is not a a wrestling market in 1960. In history, people yeah. know who the Chic is. They know who Bobo Brazil is. They know Dusty Rhodes is.
1: That's all Detroit stuff. That's mm-hmm. that's that's what I mean. Like Detroit was a hotbed of the territories, and right. so was Minnesota, and so were the
2: Carolinas and Florida, but.
1: But I'm saying so Detroit three, Detroit was mainly
2: and but Detroit was mainly NWA, right? It wasn't absolutely, AW. Absolutely. Okay. I just yeah. you just want to make clarifications, reflectionized, because I don't yeah. want to say yeah. something like that. But Vern had Chicago. Vern had Green Bay. So he cried he wanted to create a bed in the Midwest, taking advantage of Detroit with the NWA syndicate. And again, we, we could talk about the, the territories that Vern has. Chicago, Green Bay, Denver. He did uh, He did like San Francisco area. So he had a bunch of hotbed territory areas reflection. night, So it does work. So now since, you know, he wasn't the first recognized heavyweight champion was Pat O'Connor, who was an NWA heavyweight champion. Let's talk about the longest reigning. (laughs) He had 10 reigns. He had a combined number with those 10 reigns of 4,677 days. And that is the man who created the American Wrestling Association, Vern Gagne. And, and T.W., Vern Gagne, I don't know if he gets celebrated enough in 2020, Deuce. Again, this is, again, two things. People might not even know the A.W.A. existed. People, but people, you know, this is a, also a generational kind of statement I'm going to make, T.W. So follow me here. I know you, you probably have your own. We all, You've always said it. Everything is subjective. But as the years go on, in 2020, Deuce, 2023, 2025, 2030, Vern Gagne's name will be off the top 20. Vern Gagne's name will be off the top 30. But look at the numbers. 10 reigns, 4,677 days. That says something, T.W. That says dominance.
1: So he, uh, says he owns the company. That's what it well, says. Owns the,
2: well, again, we hindsight, we know the we know the backstory. But for TV purposes, for wrestling purposes, for drawing purposes, this motherfucker, you know, he he put the company on his back, like you said, because he had the most to lose. And he put asses in seats. He sold out Soldier Field, if I'm not mistaken. He sold out Comiskey Park in Chicago. That says something, T.W. What say you about the dominance of Vern Gagne? I know you don't like his wrestling because I gave you one match to watch. But he's, he's very vanilla. He's very bland. I, I get you that. I get that. I'll, I'll tell you one thing that AEW fans and
1: WWE fans alike would, would agree on. Burn Gagne versus uh, Luthez would have set snack bar attendance records and, and profits. <laughs> or filled bathrooms. There's Dude, he puts Nick Baka and what all And all I can think is he was trying to put him in a high school mood called the Banana Splits. But mm-hmm. it was it was laying on the ground, with his head at Nick's one foot, and his legs scissoring the other foot, and him humping. And I just thought, what in the fuck? I'm like, and because of the cameraing, I'm like, is he did, is he trying to do the banana
2: splits? Did you say yeah. scissoring?
1: <laughs> but but here's the thing, and we talked about this on other episodes. There's just this paranoia of trust, and I'm mm-hmm. looking here, and Bern Gagne on February 26, 1967 lost the title to dr x but then he mm-hmm. won it i'm sorry no 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 he won it february 26th and then lost it to dr x on august 17th 1968 and then 14 days later two weeks later to the day won it back and held mm-hmm. it for over seven years after that right right so that's right right there end of the 70s mid 70s or end of the 60s into the mid 70s there's had to have been something going on. That, I mean, that's when Ric Flair is coming around, Harley Race, Bruno Sammartino had the belt. I would be surprised funks. if – I don't know who the longest reigning NWA world champion is as far as time. Because um, like I said, Flair would lose it every year. Harley would lose it every year. Dusty would lose it. They all lost it every year and won it back. And mm-hmm. Bruno Sammartino held that belt for, what, nine years straight at one point? Eight, like eight years his eight
2: first years. reign three years of second reign
1: so almost as like vern is trying to replicate that the problem is he's a hundred years old he never looked like you know what i mean like mr perfect looks like a champion
2: and and even wait hold hold your thought for a second i just want to give the reflection nights a visual vern Gagne, in the peak of his in the in the prime even in his 40s he looked like he was 60 right he was bald he was balding with a uh, his body, his body stature is, you know, it was Luthez-like right. and all that stuff. So, you know, again, f- for the purposes, T.W., you're so right. He's not built for television. He's not built for today's no. television. Right. He's built for, you know, the NCAA. He's a the. Built for the right. He's a carny, all, all that stuff. So go ahead, T.W., finish your part. I just wanted to give a visual so because if people you guys might not know actual, who he looks like.
1: You want a mental image of him. The movie four christmases robert duval is vince vaughn's dad that is vern gagne oh right wow. there that's sitting even worse in his under- sitting in his underwear scratching his balls on the chair no shirt no shoes no socks but at least he had shoes and socks on in the wrestling match but no knee pads at least at least nick bach will go ahead to, the decency to put those on and so if, if you just look at the who's who of who like
2: i Dick the Bruiser in the '80s was like sixty-something years old. Hold, 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 uh, before you name some names, let me just right. let, let's put a bow on Vern Gagne's dominance because again, four thousand six hundred seventy-seven days reflection nights—you can't sneeze at that. It's still an accomplishment that will not be replicated in today's wrestling. TW, we we admit that because we live in this microwave world where the champion, if a, if a champion is three months in, people are bored with that championship reign. We need a new page. Yes, we need we need new uh, we need new blood. We need new uh, we need new appeal. We need new star appeal. You know, see Wardlow in a couple of weeks and see if, how many people will get bored. And he's supposed to be over. That's the example I'm trying to give to you. Again, you can't sneeze at the accomplishment of ten reigns and ten years total of his right. reign. But now, TW, I didn't give you promos to watch, but I remember seeing Vern Gagne promos after he retired. Mm -hmm. he kind of presented himself that this is real. He kind of presented himself like if he he was a baseball player talking about, uh, why did we lose that game? You know, we, we didn't have it. We didn't have the pitching today. We didn't, our defense was bad. He he kind of came off as a, as a head coach in the NFL, telling you how we won the game, how we lost the game, how the preparation was. He was so bland and vanilla that for the time, I think people gravitated towards that because it was very humbling. It was very humanizing. I don't know. Maybe I'm just – I know he manipulated himself to be the number one guy. I don't, don't get me wrong, T.W. I know we could agree with that. But the presentation of Vern Gagne to make it – make the sport of professional wrestling real as much as possible says something to me. What say you, T.W.? No, absolutely. But it's, that's the problem when you
1: got, like, obviously this is 60s and 70s, what are you going to do? But in the 80s, are you telling me guys like Scott Hall, Kurt Hennig eventually did, but Scott Hall, Shawn Michaels, Marty Jannetty, he even had Hogan. He had all these guys that you could have put the belt on who looked like stars, but he's so paranoid that mm-hmm. if it's not him holding the belt, it's Nick Bockwinkel's old ass holding the belt, right? So right. even he had it for five years at a time and everything. So it's like his paranoia did him in, right? Because – if you just think of all the guys that he had and let go, and did not put the belt, they put the belt on Slaughter and then took it away. Without you know, it's kind of like the Rockers win over the Hard Foundation three days later. Ah, of belt, the belt's going back to the Hard Foundation because the top rope broke, um, and they did that with Slaughter. They both used foreign objects, so we're we're giving the belt back to Baca or whoever it was. Um, I think Stan Hansen did interviews like it was a real sport. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, and it was presented that way. And then in the end, when Larry Zbysko was champion, I didn't like, this is a sign of desperation. And again, this is going to equate to modern TV. Um, mm-hmm. Number one never mentions number two on their product. Number two and three mention number one on a regular basis. And Larry Zbysko takes a shot, but he's commentating his match where he lost the belt to Mr. Saito in Japan, where he felt like the whole country was against them, that they were racist, they hated Americans, uh, mm-hmm. which, would be, which would be patriotism, not racism. But, uh, but he's saying they all, you know, it was an Asian referee, an Asian opponent, an Asian crowd. Uh, but then he takes this weird left turn. And he goes, you know, I went over there to show them what wrestling was, not this cartoon, cartoon story about Hulk Hogan stuff that they try to present. And I just thought, oh, that, that's tacky. <laughs> You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, it's granted it was on syndication and it was him reviewing his own show. So they're they're a little pond of fish, they're the ones that heard it. But it's still tacky to me. Like, just go over there and put on a show. You don't
2: have to criticize someone else. Just be better. It's hard to do that again because of the politics. It's hard to do that with the business side of it. Well, it's not bitter. I think it's just more about. You have to accentuate your product as much as you can. But we'll get into Larry Sabisco because he was the last recognized AWA heavyweight champion. But you named the name before that who is the second most dominant AWA heavyweight champion in the, the legacy of the AWA title, and that is Vern Gagne's son-in-law, Nick Bockwinkle. Now, Nick Bockwinkle had four particular reigns. And it lasted for 2,990 days, T.W., in total. So, with Nick Bockwinkle, he was the oldest-looking wrestler I ever saw in the <laughs> 60s, 70s, and 80s. But the motherfucker was one of the most athletic 50-year-olds I ever saw in the 80s. I had, I have a, I had a lot of respect for Nick Bockwinkle, especially for the charisma. Now, he put the entertainment aspect as much as Vern Gagne was about, well, this is the sport of wrestling. Nick Bockwinkle knew he had to show. He had the showmanship for the professional wrestling side. He had the character of, of being a pompous man from Beverly Hills, California. He was again, reflection. I if I'm going to give you something for today's purposes, he was a modern day intellectual MJF. He is better than you. And he knows it Again, but Nick Bachwinkle, TW, was more on the intellectual, snarky side, not in the, I'm trying to make people laugh and try to hate me. People still wanted to pay their harder money to see him get his ass beat by the likes of Vern Gagne, by the likes of Hulk Hogan, by the likes of Rick Martel and all that stuff. What say you about the character of Nick Bachwinkle? If you want to talk about his reigns, go, go ahead. He almost,
1: he was the guy who brought in big words. He was the one that always talked. I would say he was more of a more successful Damien Sandow is what he was. Uh, where comparison, to The him. intellectual to the masses or whatever, um, which I like the MJF comparison. But I would say he was almost coming across as a cocky Ivy League athlete, like entitled like either the heist, of the college quarterback or the college mm-hmm. rowing team champion or, you know, one of those blue, them lacrosse. Something like that. Like all that was missing from him was a scarf. Like he should have been wearing a scarf, but he wore suits. He almost, but he, but, but he almost came off as a manager instead of a wrestler because he was so good at talking and looked so old. By the way, I was wrong when I said it was Slaughter and Bacaenko. It was Hogan won the belt. He left, mm-hmm. and then like a week later, they gave it back to Bacaenko saying there was foreign objects used. Uh, so, I I liked this. Pro- you say you didn't give me promos, but you actually did the. The match of Vern versus Nick was if was Vern was retiring, and if he retired, he was taking the belt with him, and no prep. Like Nick Baca was stressed it. Hey, I love that he's asking for all his attention because the Guinness Book is watching, the the sports world is watching, and what better than to have him go out like he wants to? Me being the guy to stop him, because then all those eyes that are watching for that mm-hmm. are going to see him, and that he'll be the guy everybody's talking about. So he. He was smart, and he was good, whatever. And then I just read here that it's funny because he lost the match, and then when Vern retired, they gave the belt to Nick. So Nick Nick's had a couple Sharpe Vu title
2: awardings where he lost and he got he's the had belt. Three, he's had two yeah. or three of them at the most.
1: Yeah.
2: But uh, for Nick Bockwinkle, there was a package. Nick Bockwinkle, you like you said, he was intellectual. He could talk for himself. But, of course, we have to – acknowledge his manager because again it came as a package bobby the brain heenan and of course you know with Vince McMahon Jr. you know expanding the WWF it would behoove Vince McMahon not to hire and get Bobby the Brain Heenan out of the 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 doldrums of the Midwest and into the into the limelight of New York City. Seven time manager of the year Bobby the brain heenan mm-hmm. what say you about I mean with that promo itself you know, we heard a lot of stuff like Rick Rude didn't need Bobby the Brain Heenan talking for him. But to me, this is, again, my hindsight. I'm not saying I know everything. I might be the professor of reflectionites, but I can't say I know everything. But I think Bachwinkle needed Bobby Heenan and Bobby Heenan needed Bockwinkle to bump off each other. Because they were very intellectual. They presented themselves great. It was like two guys, like Bobby Heenan, he's the weakling, but he has the muscle behind him. And, of course... Nick Bockwinkle might not have the, let's say, business acumen, which is kind of like a lie because he is because right, he says right. all the big words. But he has right. a manager. He has backup with his manager doing all the the wheeling and dealing. So it kind of merged together on television. And again, you can you can see why he lasted for t- two thousand plus days on TV on Midwest TV as the AWA champion. What say about the package of Bockwinkle? I would
1: say people. I would say it was. Uh, <coughs> It was, again, uh, the genius Lenny Poffo and Mr. Perfect. They, mm-hmm. The smart guy had to have another smart guy to talk to, right? So they had each other to talk to. It made you double as annoying, right? But what mm-hmm. it also did was, like I was going to say this when I first started talking about Nick Bockewinkle, Nick Bockewinkle, if we could take a line from Kid Rock, it ain't cocky if you back it up. He was cocky, but he backed it up. So, But one of the, one of the, the, the all-time stories when you're like a spot show when you don't know me, but I'm a bad guy. I come out telling you to piss off. Yeah, you're going to boo me, but I'm also supposed to tell you another reason why you're supposed to hate me. Not only did I tell you to piss off, I don't like you. So of course you don't like me, but the first few spots, if you watch the bad guy gets over on the good guy, but then he Mm -hmm. comes up doing this stuff. Like it's cocky. Then all of a sudden the bad guy takes all the bumps, like seven, eight bumps in a row and then rakes your eyes. And so mm-hmm. what it is, it makes the fans go, see, you don't even need to cheat. You're good when you don't cheat, but then when the going gets tough, you rake eyes, or you pull hair, or you pull trunk, and it makes you hate them more because you know they don't have to cheat, but they still do. And that's what Bobby Heenan comes in. Nick Bachman uses them to distract the ref. Nick Bachman distracts the ref while Bobby chokes the guy he's wrestling. So it's just it brings more heat to the table. But with Rick Rude, one of the things Rick Rude did a lot that made people hate him was he would a tell you how much better looking he was than you and how much better shape he was. But while Bobby was doing all the talking, Rick Root is next to him flexing his triceps, curling his arm. Like he's basically doing all his talking with his flexing exactly the way he did when he talked. He was letting you know, look, you wish you had these traps. You wish you had these abs and Bobby's talking to make you mad. So it works and nothing got you hated
2: quicker being in a stable you add a guy to a stable instantly a bad guy mm-hmm. and of course the heenan family was not a creation of vince mcmahon reflection as i hate to tell you this it was a creation of Vern Gagne in the awa because he had nick bockwinkle he had bobby Duncan senior he had dave schultz in the uh in the AWA Bobby Heenan family. so And there's pl- a plethora of more. And, uh oh, Crippler Ray Stevens was in the Heenan family. And, of course, Nick Bockwinkle and the Crippler Ray Stevens TW were multiple-time AWA Tag Team Champions. So when Nick Bockwinkle lost, you know, when he had a couple of weeks off, he was the AWA Tag Team Champion. Or he probably was, you know, a dual champion. I'm not too sure. I'm not, I'm, you know, but I wouldn't be surprised if he was a dual champion at the same time having both. The most prestigious heavyweight title and tagging titles at the same time. So, TW, you did mention one thing about Nick Bockwinkel's reigns, which is kind of like he gets points off because of how he got it back. He never, you know, Ric Flair lost, but it wasn't, but he he got it back in the rematch. Vern lost, he got it back in the rematch. Nick Bockwinkle, to me, gets points off because it wasn't he, he, it wasn't his fault though. I mean, again, you talk about Hulk Hogan and the the foreign object thing, it's Super Sunday. But again, we know the reasoning. Hulk Hogan was supposed to win the AWA title. He was supposed to lead the AWA for Vern Gagne in the 80s, but Vern Gagne was very uh, greedy. He wanted half his Japanese merch. And Hulk Hogan said, F you, I'm not doing that. So we know that he had to create some kind of like, uh, he had to create a reasoning on TV. Stan Hansen. We already know the politics behind that. He didn't get paid from Vern Gagne. So what did they do? They awarded Nick Mockwink. So to me, he gets points off on the great, not the greatest. He's never like the top five, even though he has the pedigree of the of the combined days, T.W., but the points go down because of how he got the belt back. Let's say T.W., and then we'll move on to some other people. Um.
1: Well, there was also the Jerry Lawler. The belt was held up. And they mm-hmm. had another match, but they when Bachmanka won that one, they were like, "All right, he was champion the whole time." Blah 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 mm-hmm. blah blah. But yeah, Stan Hansen was taking that belt overseas and was just defending it in all defending it in all Japan because he wasn't getting paid by by Vern. So you got you got that, and and I, it looks like Otto Wands was the champion before before
2: uh... Rick Martel. Yes.
1: No, it says Otto Wands. He won in 82, but then in October of 82, Bakowinkle was champion, but it was held up with him and Lawler, but it doesn't show who Otto Wants lost it to. Rick Martel lost it, or won it from Jumbo Saruta, which mm-hmm. he won it in Japan. Another reason why this is a world title
2: because it changes hands all over the world, Japan and Michigan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, let's talk about the international flavor reflection eyes for a second. You named it Wants, He's from Germany. We have Jumbo Ostruda from Japan. We have Mr. Masayito from Japan. So again, T.W. You like you said, the the world heavyweight champion should represent the world heavyweight championship. Like uh, the N.W.A., the original belt, not the big gold belt that Ric Flair is known for, T.W. Remember the size of the N.W.A. belt? It has the flags of Mexico, Australia, and all that stuff. It makes the belt seem more important. A.W.A., their list of champions are international; has an international flavor. So it gives you that mindset that, oh, my God, a guy from Germany wins the AWA title. That's a big effing deal. A guy from Japan wins the belt in the Tokyo Dome in front of 6,000 people. That's a legitimate belt. Let's say you about the international flavor? We don't need to name all the names because it's hey, not really important. I have never not defended AWA as a world title.
1: I was actually pretty surprised to see it. it was only around for 30 years Um and it had 30, 38 reigns, but not 38 champions. There's even less champions because you take away the 10 that, what's-the-name, had it. Zimbisco mm-hmm. had it multiple times. Um, Bakawiko had it multiple times. So you're probably under 30 champions total. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I was going to talk earlier about it. One of the title matches that Vern lost the belt, he lost it to Dr. X. And I was going to tell you, my money is on Dr. X is either Greg Gagne in a mask or Larry X Henning in a mask. It ended up being uh Dick Boyer in a mask, which was, was Dick, the bruiser's tag team partner. So Dr. X was somebody under a hood, whether it was a midnight rider situation. And I don't know the story because mm-hmm. I wasn't, I wasn't around in 1968, but some, uh, but it's funny because that means even though, and Dick, the bruiser was AW world champion. So him and his partner were both champions, but his partner was under the name doc, Dr. X. Um, And then there was, I want to say there was a Mr. X, Mr. M. Let's see who he was. Mr. M was Dr. Bill Miller. So Billy Miller, I remember that name. He was an NWA guy, yeah. Mm -hmm. So he must have wrestled under a mask for the AWA is to not get
2: heat with the NWA board of directors. And that could happen, too. So, you know, there's a lot of uh, backstage politics, especially for the territories, T.W. and Reflectionites, respectively. So you had to put yourself under a mask just to make sure – that a you what is it going to get found out and b you can you can continue to get bookings in other places so you know to protect yourself and protect your career because you never know because bookers can blackball you and say we're not going to hire you because you work for the compete the competitor in Vern Gagne so neither here nor there so T W we look again the international flavor I want to recognize at least one guy of the international flavor I mean we could say it's international flavor but pretty ricky martell we have to at least acknowledge him we, we've had fun with ricky martell i mean again i will say i said it in a past pwr podcast in jest but now that we have the spotlight if ricky martell looked like he did in 1989 or 1990 as the as the model rick martell for awa purposes he would have been a better presentation as a as a world champion because he just didn't fit the mold. He was athletic. Yes. He was technical. He beat Jumbo Ostruda in Canada. And, you know, again, a Japanese guy losing to a Canadian guy for the American Wrestling Association heavyweight title. Again, that's international flavor, TW. So that's a big deal. But Ricky Martel was, he felt to me in, and he had the belt for at least a year. So it's not like he didn't have. A, he had a short reign. He had a he had a year of dominance himself. He, he fought not, against mar- he fought Martell. Against Martel. He yeah. had reigns. That, he had a title reign against the Fabulous Freebirds. He had a title reign against Jimmy Garvin. All that stuff. So, but Ricky Martel, we did a we did a PWR podcast where his promo sucked. It sucked in Cana- in Can- in Canadian language. It sucked in English language because he just he didn't. I don't think he was confident enough when he was on television with his promos. He wasn't confident enough with his character. But again, if he had the model character on AWA TV, I think AWA, you know, business-wise, I'm not saying they would have overtaken the NWA or they would have overtaken WWF because, again, the business end of that, Hulkamania was ruling everything. And WWF, you know, like you said, TW, if Vince McMahon is, you know, driving the train for the business vision, everybody else fell to the, to the wayside. But again, maybe Ricky Martel would have presented the AWA in a better light. What say you about pretty Ricky Martel? He won the
1: belt in St. Paul, Minnesota. I know it's easy to confuse that with Canada, but no, it's, I'm sorry. It's, in, it's in Minnesota. Uh, I, so it's funny. Cause after watching a lot of this stuff, um, I can't believe he was not, he was not an intercontinental champion. I swore Rick Martel was IC champion, him, but he wasn't. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but anyway, Rick Martel. Um, I think if you put Rick Martel in the AWA like this, mm-hmm. you don't need Mick Bo- you don't need Mick, Nick Nick to be your part time champion. You you just give the belt to him. There's your That's Rick cool. Flair. Mm-hmm. Um, he can irritate the fans. However, while we were watching this, when one of them, I, I think it was the Stan Hansen match ended, I actually started watching a shoot interview with Rick Martel, and okay. he actually got into wrestling. And I want to say he said it was like 1968 or, you know, somewhere, 73. No, that's what it was. His brother was 68. No, he graduated high school in 68, Mm -hmm. and it was right around then someone needed a replacement, and his brother was uh, Marcel Martel or something like that. He actually died in the ring in 1978. He said that. He told them that his brother was a pro wrestler when really he was just an amateur wrestler, and they brought Mm -hmm. him in. And in the promotion they brought him in. Heels and faces were in separate locker rooms, and if you got caught talking to each other, you got fired or fined 100 bucks or whatever, they were real strict mm-hmm. about it. So he's there. He doesn't know anybody. He doesn't speak English that well because he grew up in Quebec City, Quebec. That's straight-up French speaking, right? So him now in the shoot interview, which is probably 10 years old, his English is great. But this dude's learning as he goes. So when we see right. him in 1984 in that horrible interview – He's only been trying to speak English for ten years, which is a long time if you're fucking one when you start learning English. But I've been Spanish, studying Spanish for about thirty years, and I still can't speak the shit. So I, I can understand yeah, it. They, I there was
2: can't. no, there was no Rosetta Stone for Rick Martel to learn right, English right. back then. So he had to right. learn on the fly. So I give you that. But right. like you said, like we both agree, the model Rick Martell as the AWA champion. All oh, you don't need. You're right. You don't need Nick Bockwinkle. He's your Ric Flair. He's your antagonist and can do all the and stuff. And he's young. And he's young, yeah. Again, we, again. I have to give you the, the visual reflection. Ricky Martel in 1984 as a heavyweight champion looked like a porn star. He had a lot of body hair. He looked like dark haired Dino you know, Bravo is what he looked like. Good, good analogy right there. And, and plus, he didn't wear knee pads in, in the AWA. He hardly did.
0: He White might have
2: wear and that too, but he, he, he didn't do the knee bends. I know you hated him for that, but you know, again, would you say, and we put a bow on Ricky Martel. was he uh underrated AWA champion in your opinion, or you, you just think that he was just, he filled a void because of what was going on business-wise with Hogan leaving and the exodus to the WWF. He had no choice. I think he's underrated because again, and and I hate saying this because
1: of what ended up happening to Bern Gagne, and I don't think I made this up. I'm pretty sure I heard this as a younger guy. The A and AWA stood for Alzheimer's Wrestling Association because everyone Mm -hmm. gave him shit for how Mm -hmm. old the people were. So, in our lifetime, I just noticed there's a couple more guys that I didn't know the title changed hands a couple times, but in our lifetime from 68 on, I was born in 73, you are born a couple years later, they've only had Zimbisco, Kurt Hennig, Rick Martell, Stan Hansen, Nick Bockwinkel, and, and um, Bergania is the champions in our lifetime. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Saito and Saruda are in there. Uh, there's a couple other ones that I didn't realize were in there. A lot there. Of ones. Uh, um, but, but that was before we were born. That was 68. I didn't count him. No, Aduan's won in 82. Oh, okay, 82. So, but they were short-range. But, mm-hmm. but what do they all have in common, with the exception – oh, and Lawler. What did, and it well, Kerry lost to Lawler. He didn't become champ. What do they all have in common, with the exception of Martel and Henning? They're 100 years old. Every one of them. Saito's another guy, like you said about Vern. He looked 50 when he was 30. You know, he just, he had no neck. He was mm-hmm. a job guy in WWF. I don't know how the hell you end up in America and a job guy for WWF, but he was probably part of a team
2: with Fuji and them back then, and then just stuck around. But, uh, yeah. Him, Fuji, he, and Tiger Chung Lee. I think I forget. I
1: would, I would say Martel is definitely underrated, but until I watched the match, and I watched it today, I think what hurt Martel's reign was he he went out like a bitch. Like Stan broke his back, right? Mm-hmm. But if you, if you watch the match, it's if it would have been Ricky Morton or Daniel Bryan, he'd still be over today for this match. But because it's Rick Martel, who's relatively unknown, he taps out to the back backbreaker. But it's only after doing push-ups three times that Stan Hansen used his head on the turnbuckle to stop him from doing the flip. But Stan mm-hmm. Hansen botched it so bad that he fell in between the turnbuckles and had to keep sque- scooting back and doing it over again. If they would have done it right and Stan Hansen just kept doing that on the turnbuckle, it would have mm-hmm. looked like, A, he got ripped off because the referee should have broke it when Stan Hansen was using their leverage of the turnbuckle. And B... Um, it would have made people feel bad for him. He never got the belt back. I don't even know if he ever got a rematch. Um, and because he didn't come to WWF for a couple more years. His strike force was what, 87? Or can yeah. Am Connection was
2: 87? Pan Am Connection was 87.
1: Yes. So he's, so he's there a couple more years.
2: Mm, um, let me, so I, let I, let let me ask he, you this. He looked like a soft wrestler because of it. Let, let me ask you this, because when you said the Ricky Morton thing, Maybe Vern Gagne. This is again hindsight. Would you agree with this? Maybe putting the belt on Ricky Martel in '84 to '85. Vern Gagne wanted that Ricky Morton kind of heat on him that he, he would get like the girls to like fear that he was going to be bad that you can rally r- behind like a Ricky nope. Morton, a Daniel Bryan, or a Johnny Gargano, where he takes you on a roller coaster ride. No, nope, because
1: he's too big for one. What I okay. think he thought he was doing because okay. you mentioned it. He filled in for Hogan when Hogan left. I think Bern Gagne looked at him and thought he looked like the all-American fucking boy. And the problem was he fucking spoke shit English mm-hmm. and had no charisma. He probably had it in spades in French. He spoke mm-hmm. French because we even agreed. Whatever the hell he said in French in that interview, was like, yeah, I'm with him. But when he was in English, you're like, what the fuck? Right? Like, and, you know, he knew it. That's like, I better mm-hmm. say something in French. You know, French. So – I think he was just – because even, even Can-Am Connection, the whole girls in cars, all that, they were trying to portray them as, like, Chunkendales or chippendale, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. like, heartthrobs. And I think he thought he was putting Martel out there. So, yes, in some regard, it's Ricky, Rob, or Ricky Morton, but it's Ricky and Robert. He wanted an American heartthrob, but he picked a – he couldn't have picked a more French-Canadian guy unless he went with Dino gotcha.
2: Bravo. Oh, okay. Well, let's move on. And, again, there's so many uh, title reigns that we could talk about, but then this would be a five-hour show, and I don't want to bore you because then we would try to educate the masses too much, and we would want you to at least know about the AWA Reflectionites. But, anyway, let's talk about T.W. Well, T.W. said this is the greatest AWA heavyweight champion. That is cool Kurt Henning. He's not Mr. Perfect yet, but they call him cool Kurt Henning, and he paid his dues. Second generation wrestler to Larry D'Axe Henning. I think Larry Diax Henning was a former AWA heavyweight champion. But um he built his rep in '86 TW with his matches against Nick Bockwinkel for the AWA title. He bled to death on AWA TV and on ESPN, where people recognized that people gained respect for uh Mr. Well, I'm gonna call him Mr. Perfect here, TW, so excuse me when I say that. But he got the respect of his wrestling peers. He got the respect of the wrestling promoters. And of course, he got noticed by Vince McMahon. So he kept an eye on cool Kurt Henning. And of course, in Superclash 3 in 19... No, Superclash 2 True. in 1987, he defeats Nick Bockwinkle in San Francisco. Again, under the darkest of controversy with Larry Sabisco, handing him the roll of quarters. But that's neither here nor there for semantics. But what say you, you said... Cool, Kurt Henning is not Mr. Perfect yet, but he's building that Mr. Perf- Mr. Perfect persona, if you will. He had he was repre- well, not represented, but he always he always had a teammate by his side, and that was Medusa Michelli. So there was like the the male and female power couple, if you will, on AWA television. But he had a year run from '87 to '88, losing to Jerry Lawler. But what say again? He didn't win the WCW heavyweight title. He didn't win the WWF heavyweight title. You know, again, Hogan was controlling the WWF. So he had to he had to go on the wayside, but he was one of the best intercontinental champions of all time. But he is a heavyweight champion. What say you about cool Kurt Henning, TW? I was a I was a fan of Hall and Hennig. I
1: was a fan because I, I somehow got AWA. I think it was on like local TV syndicated really, really late at night. So I was watching that stuff. Uh Whenever I could, I don't think I watched it on a regular basis until I had cable on ESPN. Had it at four o'clock. By then, he's already Mister Perfect. Um, mm-hmm. But he he would be the guy jobbing the Hogan when Hogan was doing those Sunday night spots on Burning Bits, It would be Rude or Hennig would be the guy jobbing the Hogan or Macho Man on the house shows. Um, weren't weren't even involved in a feud on TV, which I think they should get back to that. Like, you know how like modern day. It's they call it Cena or Cena Cody versus uh Rollins three, but they mm-hmm. wrestled at the house show for the two months leading up to it. Right, they should wrestle different guys at the house show, like test synchronicity test and te- test the chemistry between guys. Because when you're wrestling on TV, if I'm seeing them wrestle in my hometown in a dark match, well, what the hell do I need to order the pay per view for? Right, granted it's in a Hell in a Cell, but the logic mm-hmm. is, I-, I like that mr perfect didn't beat hulk hogan but i like that it looked like he could have right like it was, like if you look at him in interviews you think he's a monster he's a little man but when they're in the ring together it wasn't that much difference right same thing with mm-hmm. rude because they're both taller guys and best friends but uh cool kurt hennig i i i didn't understand the heel turn with the roll of coins i didn't know why it was necessary but it just it, it what it was is the tried and true the WWF always had a babyface champion, so NWA always had a heel champion that got chased. And I think Vern finally thought, all right, me being champion for seven years didn't put asses in the seats, but the bad guy champion did. And now that Nick's going away, we need another bad guy champion, and we're going to make it cool, Kurt Hennig. And uh, I just, I, I think it killed him. Once he went heel, like you want a babyface champion. And he was, and Larry the Ax Axe was not a champion, and that was the whole deal was him doing what his dad never did, like Cody wants to do for Dusty. Mm-hmm. Kurt wanted to win the world title for his dad because his dad never won it.
2: Um, wait. And so so you you don't like the heel turn no sort, for for Cool to kinda like take the mantle for from Nick Bockwinkel being that make arrogant him heel, prick.
1: Make him heel it's it's right up there with Luger turning heel on Barry Windham in that match. It's like, huh? Like there was no reason for it. Right? Okay. Like you just win the belt. And then if you get sick and tired, turn heel, whatever, right? If it doesn't put asses in the seats. But it was so planned that it was so – it was just kind of like, what the fuck? Like, he didn't – why did he need a roll of coins to beat Nick Bockenwinkel? He should have beat Nick Bockenwinkel sleepwalking,
2: right? The young stud versus the old, decrepit – barn handling the old the old and young lion scenario i get what you're saying but of course they had to they had to give respect
1: i'm talking to you as a whatever year he won that belt 85 86 whatever it was 87 i'm I'm talking to you as a 14 year old kid who likes him as a good guy like there was no reason Hmm. to turn him bad and and even still the fact that i liked him when he's chasing nick buckwick old ass nick buckwick old ass didn't make me not watch it Still wanted, I still want to. I still want to see Kurt Hennig beat him for it, and mm-hmm. I felt like the deck was stacked against him. So for him to win with the roll of coins, it was kind of like, huh, why? You know what I mean? Like,
2: so, so you, so you was forward? under, so you was underwhelmed in your humble opinion. Yeah, I with think the it 87 ruined 87 Hennig there, yeah. right? Okay, okay, right, I give you that. I mean, again, because, it's very specific. because
1: as a fan, you didn't get to celebrate with him. You're, for, you're along for the ride. He wins the belt. Mm-hmm. You want to be like, yeah, that's me putting him on my shoulders when Scott Hall gets in the ring and does it. You want to feel like you're part of it. But he goes heel and right automatically, you know, just like Luger, when Luger did it, what? Ninety-one. No, yeah. ninety-one was ninety-one was Sting. No, Sting won at ninety. So Sting does Luger does that in ninety-one, and you're like, why? I've been, I've why didn't you win the world title for eight years and now this is what? what? Why? You had to cheat to beat Barry Wyndham, and he didn't really cheat. You you beat
2: him clean, and then you had the guys come in and beat him up after the match. It was it was weird. Okay, I, again, it's very subjective. I thought that, you know, again, hindsight. But I was watching. I I was kind of keeping my eyes on the mags and knowing cool Kurt Henning and all that stuff. So when you see the rankings, I was I was gravitating towards that. I thought, you know, again. I'm not saying he was supposed to be the next – I'm not saying that 10 years old. I knew he was going to be the next Nick Bockwinkel. I'm saying this right now. He was prepped to be the next Nick Bockwinkel. He was prepped to be the next guy for the next five years to have like three reigns and, you know, 2,000 days combined. He was there. But, again, the business side of it, Reflectionites, again, they were losing money hand over fist. WWF kept calling. Kurt Henning had no choice. He took the money. And he went to Greener Pastures in Stamford, Connecticut. So with that being said, T.W., we could talk about he lost it a year later. And, again, the circumstances about, about that is kind of weird because, again, Vern Gagne trusted Nick Bachwinkel because there was a family connection. Okay, that was his son-in-law. Putting the belt on Kurt Henning, there was a family connection or business family connection, if you will, because he was the son of Larry Diax Henning, who was – very a uh, loyal awa guy putting the belt on jerry the king lawler was a business gamble because again you're trying to to keep up with the joneses you're trying to keep up with vince mcmahon in the wwf so again this was for the wrestling bubble in itself it was a big deal in the aftermags did it make a dent in like a, you know wow in water cooler talk no it didn't But for wrestling bubble purposes, it made it made a a dent, if you will. Beating Kurt Henning, cool Kurt Henning in Memphis in the Mid-South Coliseum in front of 13,000 people sold out. That was kind of like the last great house show, if you will, for Memphis wrestling, because then the attendance dwindled after that. Again, the business side of it, the WWE was taking over. But Vern Gagne gambled on putting the belt to a guy He did business with, but the rival, a a rival, a rival competitor, but they had a mutual understanding about, you know, talent exchanges, working in Memphis, working in Chicago, working in Minnesota and all that stuff. It was a business gamble. And of course he held on to the title and then, you know, was forced to forfeit it again. You can, no, 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 let me, let me just, let me just say, let me just say, let me just say this. He had the big match with Kerry Von Erich in Super Clash 3 in December. Combined those titles, but again, the business, we know the business side. We, again, the business was dwindling for world class. The business was dwindling for AWA. He didn't pay uh, Jerry the King Lawler his payoffs. And he didn't want to, you know, again, with all the logistics, I don't want to get in, I don't want to bore the reflection, ICW. I'm just talking about the reign of Jerry the King Lawler. Jerry the King Lawler, you know pre-AWA, was always chasing the big belt. He was chasing the NWA title. He he always came so close, to, and, but so short against Ric Flair for the years. Then they dissolved that relationship with the NWA. Then Vern Gagne swooped in. So guess what he was chasing? He was chasing Nick Bockwinkel. He was chasing uh Kurt Henning. And finally, he got the brass ring that he was looking for for all those years. So for storyline purposes and the payoff, I'm loving it. But, again, it's a gamble business-wise putting it on a competitor. What say you about Jerry the King Lawler? I would think that the Memphis
1: House would have been controlled by Lawler. That wouldn't have been an AWA show, would it have it been? It was. No, it, the Memphis House was controlled by him and Jerry Jarrett. Lawler and Jarrett. Yeah. So he got paid for that. He just didn't get paid for the other stuff that he did. And who wasn't the super Clash in, like, Missouri or Mississippi or something? Chicago.
2: It was in it Chicago. It was Chicago. UIC Carolina. Pavilion.
1: So that would have been that would have been Vern's book,
2: mm-hmm. and he didn't pay him. He didn't pay him for for the for which, which means it, which means it didn't draw. Well, if I remember the attendance correctly, five hundred to at least a thousand in that building.
0: Ugh.
1: Yeah,
2: that's where Kerry had him in the claw, and they called him match for blood. Yes, like, and then we gained a Texas tornado. <laughs> bye <Bye-bye>. bye. <laughs> Well, in picked- in, a, in about two years' time. But what say you about Jerry the King Lawler? Again, the, the story. Again, we could go out the business, but the story is, is, a, is a gr- it's a great it's a uh, great feel good story for Jerry Lawler. And of course, if we remember, I remember this. Jerry Lawler always you you said it's bitterness. I say it's it's great booking. But he called out Hulk Hogan. He called out Rick Flair. He said, "I am the undisputed." I don't have a problem with that. Honky Chomp Man is the one I call bitter. Oh,
1: Jerry okay.
2: Lawler. No, I'm saying booking-wise, he always said, I'm the I'm the one and only heavyweight champion.
1: But it's okay for him to do it because he's the second or third tier. The first mm-hmm. tier doesn't talk about Jerry Lawler, right? Mm-hmm. But he did it with respect. Like, hey, if you don't, if you think you're better than me, come defend your belt against me. And Flair did, if I'm
2: not mistaken. Didn't well, they always Blair did. An AWA, they did title AWA? for titles. We always, yeah. they always did title for titles back in the 70s and 80s, and then they stopped that for some strange reason. But again, Martel, Martel wrestled Flair in a two out of three matches. AWA, they made toys of it.
1: AWA toys made a Ric Flair action figure for that they did, match.
2: They did that in Japan. They actually fought each other in Japan in the two out of three fall match. So yes, you're right. AWA versus NWA. So champions. I don't,
1: I don't mind if you're talking about them in character. If you're talking Mm -hmm. about him in, like, hey, like, like how we talked about Memphis, where they would challenge whoever, uh, Mm -hmm. who was the other rival down there? Uh, What do you mean? Lawler put him under. There was another promotion down there. Oh, ICW,
2: Savage, the Paphos.
1: Savage, yeah. So they would talk shit about but Come on down. It's one thing if you're trying to get him to do business. It's another Mm -hmm. just to insult them on TV and call them the Hulk Hogan steroid cartoon wrestling. That's tacky. You know? Right it's all for one and one for all Then nobody wins. But if we're all in it together, you know, kayfabe doesn't work
2: if all three promotions don't do it. No, I, I get you. I understand that. It's just that, again, for Jerry Lawler winning that, it's a great feel-good story, TW. And, of course, he had a nice uh, re- respectable reign. But what was funny about Jerry Lawler's reign, because this is where I started seeing his matches, and you, we had ESPNs, uh, <clears throat> respectively, you and I, Jerry Lawler was booed in Texas. Jerry Lawler was booed in AWA buildings, but again, the the fans of Memphis are are sheep. They cheered him. He could do no wrong. It was one of the funniest things. It's like in America, only one sector of the of the United States loved him like Elvis Presley, and then he was hated like Adolf Hitler everywhere else. So that was the funny thing to me. So you know he was he was doing what Bret Hart did more beautifully. And masterfully, having United States boo him, but Canada cheer That was bigger. That was way bigger and way better. But neither here nor there. So let's look at some, let's look at a, another reign. And actually, we could put a bow on this because we've talked about, we went an hour. Because again, like you said, there's, it's a 30-year reign of the AWA belt. So it's. It doesn't feel long. It doesn't feel like a long time because there wasn't that many champions because two guys in particular dominated that 30 years, and that was Byrne and Nick Bockwickle, respectively. But we have to talk about the last recognized AWA heavyweight champion, and that was the living legend Larry Sabisco. After all the debacle with Jerry Lawler and the payoffs, Larry Stabisco wins the AWA Heavyweight Championship Reflection Ice in a Battle Royal. He eliminated Tom Zink to become the undisputed AWA Heavyweight Champion, TW. And, of course, Larry Stabisco's career is kind of funny because, again, we did a a spotlight rivalries edition with him and Bruno San Martino. He got his rep by taking out Bruno San Martino. He got the respect from the wrestling uh, circle by taking out Bruno Sammartino. But then, you know, he wasn't the WWF heavyweight champion. In the AWA, he was the America's champion, was kind of like an intercontinental champion, but he never kind of, he never defeated Nick Bachwinkle. He never defeated uh, Vern Gagne. He never defeated the living legends there to get that brass ring. He gets it in 89 when the roster is so thin of star power. It's not his fault, but now. Not only being the son-in-law for Vern Gagne, again, Vern can trust Larry Zabisco's not going anyway because he's a family member, so there was a trust factor here at TW. What say you about the living legend? Because he has the bravado, he has the charisma, he might not have the body structure, but he had the, the talking aspects of it. What say you about Larry
1: But He had him 20 years too late, like a young Larry Zabisco. it's a good Larry Zabisco. The old one, I want to say, he was doing commentating when when Headed was champion, and he came out of that to become the guy. So it he did. He did commentary, from,
2: and de- he did commentary, and then went to the corner, and then gave him the roll of quarters. Yep, and and then it it just turned into like it was
1: it, it reeked of desperation, and I'll, I'll never forget because by 1990, this guy had cable, and I knew Larry Zimbisco was the world champion in AWA. And when he came out, I think it was A Clash of Champions, he came out and did commentary on uh, WCW. And I'm like, whoa, like, what in the hell is the AWA world champion doing here? And so I thought they were about to do AWA versus WCW, and AWA just died. And yeah, it was like, it, yeah, you yeah. know what's sad about is McMahon bought him, but he just bought the library. didn't do nothing with it. But it's sad that WCW, which – and, and – Well, WCW, you didn't get the NWA stuff. All you got was the WCW stuff and, like, a little bit of the Clash of the Champions that were NWA before they fully changed
2: to WCW. Um, Well, remember, respectively, for Vince McMahon buying the library, he only could buy Georgia Championship Wrestling and Crockett stuff. He couldn't buy Florida. He can't really buy Florida. He can't buy Portland. He He can't buy St. Louis.
1: He got all the bashes. He, yeah. he got NWA stuff, but not those belts. All those belts are owned mm-hmm. by... Uh, what's this guy? Uh, Smashing Pumpkins. He owns those belts. Uh, yep. The designs. Mm-hmm. But what makes me bummed out is... I, I didn't even realize... I mean, I knew they had the library because AWA's on the network. But I didn't realize he bought it. They sell a WW World title. The one that Luger got. The first one that he had. Um, mm-hmm. They got rid of it and went back to the big gold after Flair came back. But uh, that belt that sting Wyndham, and luger all had i think the invader and ron simmons um but they sell that belt they're selling the u.s belt that was the second from last u.s belt the one that had a little bit of american flag peeking out of the eagle at the top okay but they don't they don't have the awa belt on there and and i was gonna tell you this earlier there were there was multiple awa titles because larry luthes had one of them little girly looking belts back in the day but the one that Kurt Hennig has, and the one that Bockwinkel has with Vern, they're different. They're the same shape and everything. It's like plate on plate on plate instead of etching. Right. But they're they're beautiful belts, man. And if you if I could buy an AWA belt from the shop, I would buy it immediately
2: because you you have to go to the, you have to really go to the collectible stores. They do sell the AWA uh, replica right. belts. Oh, yeah,
1: I can find any belt on eBay, but you don't know like that American. That U.S. title I got there looks great mm-hmm. hanging there. You have it in your hand; it's terrible. You know, it's oh, okay. it's, it's it's very thin. It's not very well drawn. Where they like, I got to look at it later. The guy mm-hmm. complaining, he may say the states aren't aren't broken up like states are just little squiggly lines that separate the states on the U.S. map. But looking mm-hmm. from here, it looks like states. But uh, but yeah, it looks awesome hanging there. But if I have it in my hand, the plate isn't lined up with the leather cutout. It's 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 definitely. A botched one, but okay. like, yes. Yesterday I was gonna try to order, and I still might. uh The TV title in red, because that's mm-hmm. Tully. So that belt is Luger to me. The other belt's Tully to me. I would buy the AWA belt because it would it would be Kurt Hennig for me, and so is the IC belt. But the IC belts I have are Warrior.
2: I get I get you. Let's put a bow on Larry Sabisco. You said it's twenty years too late. I get what you're saying because he won it in '89, but his biggest program you could say was 81 we had that match against bruno san martino with the fro in the the Shea stadium showdown in the cage which we did a steel cage spotlight on uh reflection ice so you know but that's eight years prior to 89 tw so isn't he supposed to be more refined he's at the peak of his career or is just because the the business aspect of the AWA being in the toilet as it is in 89 and 90 respectively. Again, he did not have, for his reign, the cast of characters chasing him because, if I remember correctly from the cable uh, of ESPN, his defenses were against Harley Race. He was already past his prime. Baby. Nik- Nikita Koloff, Greg Ganya, Wahoo McDaniel, again, a little past his prime. Uh, the Trooper... DJ Peterson, that's I can remember off the top. And Ken Patera, if I remember correctly. JT Southern had to be in there if DJ Peterson was there. Probably. So I guess... They were called the initials. The name of their tag team was the initials. (laughs) So I guess what you're saying is 20 years too late, T.W., but what say you about the reign of Larry Sebastian? Because the cast of characters doesn't excel him in the top ten of best heavyweight champions you, ever.
1: You, you just named his his reign and who he defended against, and I did, I wouldn't have remembered any of those, right? But okay. what I did remember about the AWA when he was champion, the guy that stood out to me was the mm-hmm. illustrious Johnny Stewart. And if they would have had an inter, Intercontinental title, Johnny Stewart would have been their IC champion, and he would have been over-huge as a heel he would have been a great world champion. He was he little, was, but yeah. but he carried – he was – dude, he's just as big as MJF. He carried himself like a star. And so okay. I liked him. And the funny thing is he started an AWA up in 1996. Him and another Gagne, not Gagne, but Gagner Gagne, Gagne, like the okay. French spelling, G-A-G-N-E-R. They started the AWA Professional Wrestling whatever, and Vince McMahon sued him and shut it down. But in
2: 1996, he tried to bring it back. Mm. Well, you can't do things illegally in the United States (laughs) of America. (laughs) So with that being said, TW, we close on this special Pro Wrestling Spotlight Championship Belt Edition with the American Wrestling Association Heavyweight Championship. And since I had fun talking about the AWA Heavyweight Championship, next week, TW, I have to, you know, do one for myself tw i have to give myself a present so we're going to do another championship edition spotlight but guess which company i want to talk about with the heavyweight championship of the world ecw absolutely we got to talk about the original ecw the eastern championship wrestling title plus the extreme championship wrestling title with the cast of champions don morocco was a champion Sandman was a champion, Raven was a champion, Taz was a champion, Mike Awesome was a champion. But again, I'm excited about that for next week, so I'm just giving you a little bit of a teaser. Not a cock tease reflection, That's, but a little <laughs> teaser. But anyway, T.W., are you excited for the ECW Championship Edition of the Spotlight?
1: I am, because I learned some stuff about them. I still feel bad that I wasn't into them when I, when I should have been.
2: Wait, we I will not talk just about just the... We will not talk about the WWE TW. I will not talk about Bobby Lashley. I will not talk about Big Show as the ECW champion. Vince. And Vince McMahon as the ECW champion. We will not acknowledge that. But anyway, TW, (coughs) let's give out those socials so we can get out of here. And you can take your Nightfuls and Dayfuls. Yeah uh the pro wrestling coalition network sponsors us they are the pwc network
1: at Podbean.com you got big veto brand or patreon.com backslash the big veto brand um, big ray we can't do without him at big ray hernandez uh, and then our show is at pw reflection and then you have me you have TommyWonder19 is my Instagram and Twitter. I have another Twitter is at the TommyWonder, which is also my TikTok. You have backslash or facebook.com backslash Tommy wonder. Snapchat is number wonder. And then Dum Dum Duo and the Idiot on the YouTube.
2: Alright, and my Twitter is PWSO That's PWSO Prof. And of course, if this is uploaded on the YouTubes, A-Track Brown, get on your ass on this. It will be on the PWSO YouTube networks. Follow my brothers in arms, 8-track brown, the king of the reactions at 8-track Destiny, and of course the man with the documents, the man who knows what's going on, the, the divide and conquer that's going on in this world, TW. Billy Ray Valentine knows it. And follow his Twitter at OB1You know me. And with that being said, I'm the professor. That's Mr. Freaking Stein himself. Tommy Wonder saying goodnight. And we'll see you next week with the ECW Championship Spotlight Edition. Peace. Boom. Shaka-laka.